Hello, wonderful people. I hope you had a great start of the year and are refreshed and ready for 2024. I know we're a month into the new year and some of you might feel ready for another break, but others might feel like, you know what, the year just started. Regardless where you find yourself on the continuum, I hope listening to this episode will give you a fresh perspective if you set up some goals, resolutions, whatever you want to call them, around health and well-being because today we're talking about this complex relationship between mental health and food. Before I tell you about the exciting guests I have today, I want to share a few updates. Mentality Podcast is celebrating two years next month. A beautiful age and I want to say thank you for tuning in and being part of the journey. Here in London, all across the UK, US, Spain, South Africa, New Zealand, Scandinavia, Romania, Malaysia, you name it. Thank you for being part of the journey and it's great to see so many people listening and engaging with the podcast. And although this episode marks the end of the second season, I'll be back in April with some fresh guests and exciting topics. We're going to kick off the third season with a chat with a senior police officer in the Metropolitan Police, London, to talk about his experience of being a black police officer, how he deals with pressure and his stake on mental health. And also want to remind you that if you're new to Mentality Podcast or have been listening for a while and you haven't rated the podcast, please give us a five star if you really enjoy what you're listening. And going back to this episode, it's about trying to solve the puzzle of the dynamic between nutrition and mental health. And I'm joined by no other than Becca Benning. Becca and I met last summer as TEDx speakers. Since then, we published a joint blog post on the topic. What is great about Becca and the work she's doing, not only that she's a behavioral change coach and nutritionist with a particular interest in autoimmune diseases. What I like about Becca and her work is that she engages with clients, with, especially with chronic and health conditions, to design and implement realistic dietary and lifestyle changes to help them to get their spark back. Let's just dive in and here's my conversation with Becca. This is Mentality Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about healthy masculinities. I'm your host, Lao Jokan, and throughout this podcast, we'll hear from a wide range of guests about the views and experience of manhood. We look at the bits we should celebrate, but also its messy parts, while having a bit of a laugh. Hi, Becca. It's great to have you in the pod, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation about the dynamic relationship between mental health and food. Hi, Lau. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. Wonderful. And so, yeah, tell me more about your background, about what you do and your passion about nutrition and coaching. Yeah, well, it was the TED event was incredible, wasn't it? We were such a, a tight knit group by the end. It was something special. So if you haven't checked out Lau's TED talk, then you must. And I highly recommend to the other people who spoke on the day as well. A really wonderful, really great conversations and topics. Yeah, yeah. And it was such a diverse kind of range of ways that people came at the theme over the course of the day, which I thought was absolutely fab. Yeah. So my background is I used to be a primary school teacher and I got sick, basically, because it's a stressful job and it was kind of a contributing factor in the development of some of the health conditions that I have. And it was after I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis that I decided I tried to keep going, but then I sort of kind of went, you know what, I can't really look after myself properly and do this job at the same time. So I left. 
And I kind of did various things and I had a baby among other things in the meantime, but then I kind of found out about the existence of health coaching. It had changed so much had changed in my life by this point because I'd learned so much by what I had done to manage my own conditions. And I'd seen the impact that making changes to my diet and my lifestyle had had for me that as soon as I realized health coaching existed, I was like, that's what I need to do now because that's like the perfect kind of merging of my teaching experience and the kind of work that because I used to work with very little children which a lot of that is about kind of facilitation and helping people to work stuff out for themselves rather than the sort of more traditional Victorian view of teaching where you stand at the front and tell everybody what they're supposed to remember so yeah it all kind of came together for me and I get so much gratification from the work that I do I had a client recently just last week who I saw for her second session and in the two weeks since her first session she's made some dietary changes and she's made some changes around her sleep and she's now able to walk up and down the stairs instead of going on all fours and that's in two weeks and this kind of stuff is like yes this is this is powerful these changes are really really beneficial and when you find the right things for you then you can really have a massive massive impact on the way you feel it's incredible there's really incredible story and really love how you said in two weeks you can see a palpable tangible result of of the coaching you're delivering and another thing that I want to flag uh, about the work we've done together actually was late autumn in 2023. Mm. We put that nice blog uh, together around the relationship between mental health and food, which was very well received and really good coverage in both uh, online and uh, printed press. I think it's a really great story as well to see how not only did you do the coaching, but also you use it and apply it to yourself. So how you change your lifestyle, how you change certain things in your in your day-to-day life. Just to get that benefits of uh, that wholesome approach, not just food, but as you mentioned, sleep and uh, probably physical exercise and so on. Yes, absolutely. And there are things that get missed out a lot when people are talking about health and people tend to kind of, if they're doing all the things, if they're going to the gym all the time and they're eating in a way that they believe to be healthy for them and it's still not working then it's often things like stress and support networks and sleep that have been overlooked. So it's really kind of, it's a big picture view because all of these things, it's like we were talking about in the blog post is that mental health and physical health are not separate. All of these aspects of our wellbeing are interconnected. So it matters to, if you're going to be limited in terms of the goodness that you can get out of your whatever diet you're eating, if your digestion isn't working properly because you're stressed all the time. Absolutely fabulous point about the interdependence between different aspects of our life that we need to look at the holistic picture than just how I improve my mental health by meditating more, which I'm sure it's important. I'm thinking, and as an example, if I'm just decorating my my kitchen, but the rest of the house is overlooked, my house probably wouldn't help me to feel much more relaxed. So I'm just giving a simplistic example just to... Yeah, but that's a great way to think about it. I think that's absolutely right because it's like, you know, that that's not going to increase the functionality of your whole house if you just focus on the kitchen. Exactly. The value of the property will not increase overnight just because you redecorated and you have a glamorous kitchen, but the rest of the house needs to be looked after. In many ways, you could go with that analogy. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's dive deep into the science behind and why is important to look after and obviously in this episode we'll look mostly at food and this part of the bigger picture Mm. what are the reasons what's the science behind the way we eat and how it can impact our mental health how we feel our moods 
So we covered that a bit in the blog, but I think now you're live, you're here, and you can share much more valuable information than just in a blog post. Yeah, and I can talk really fast. I'll do, I'll do my best not to go too quickly. <laughs> yeah, so there's this kind of artificial distinction that we have between mental health and physical health. I mean, we know when we think about it, really, when we reflect on our own experiences, we know that our mental state impacts our physical body and So it makes sense that there's a two-way connection going on there. So we often talk about, like, for example, if we are nervous, then we've got butterflies. We can feel it in our stomach if we're going for a job interview or something. And anxiety can make us feel sick. And we know that that relationship is there. We feel it. And it does work both ways. There's actually more communication. There's a very important nerve that runs. I'm a hand talker, but I am doing my best not to rely on my gestures for the listening people. But there's a very important nerve that runs from the base of the brain down into the gut and other parts of the body. It's called the vagus nerve, which means the wandering nerve, actually, because it goes to so many other parts of the body. This is a big part of how the gut brain, and they've discovered that there's more communication going from the gut to the brain than there is from the brain to the gut, which was a surprise initially. But now, and the more we learn about the connection between the way our gut works and the way that it works in synergy with the brain, the more sense it makes because there is so much activity in the gut that is influencing the way that our brain chemistry is working. For instance, some of the things we talked about in the blog are the production of neurotransmitters. Serotonin is mostly produced in the gut, for instance, and a lot of us are familiar with the influence that serotonin has on our mental well-being because it's a mechanism behind a lot of antidepressant medications, for instance. SSRIs are serotonin reuptake inhibitors. That's what that medication is doing, is affecting our serotonin balance. So there are lots of ways that we can impact our neurochemistry and the physical health of our brain by providing our body with kind of good quality nutrition in the the form of the, the fuel that it needs to be able to do the many and various jobs it's doing constantly. To add to the wonderful answer that you gave around the science behind it, is that two thirds of our immune system is based actually in the gut and adding up to the point you made how more signals, more more communication is happening from the gut to the brain. It's important that what we put in our gut, what we put in our bodies, the food, the water we drink helps Mm. with the whole well-being of our bodies, which indirectly impacts our moods, our how we feel about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an important point that you bring up hydration because it is even being a very small amount dehydrated can affect our mood, our ability to concentrate, our ability to retain information. As a teacher, I was constantly aware the kids need to drink because if it's a hot day and they haven't had enough to drink, you're shot if you're trying to teach them anything that is even remotely challenging. It's just not going to happen because they're not in the right place. And so there's versions of that that apply to all kinds of things. So Another important point just that isn't necessarily talked about very much is that the food we eat, it's giving our body work to do always, whatever it is we eat. However marvellous the food is that we're eating, we're giving our body work to do. And some food is easier for our bodies to deal with than others. So if you look at your body as one whole moving part, this sort of super intricate machine, if you're making your digestion work really, really hard, then that is taking resources away from other things. So it is going to affect your global level of inflammation as well, which is communicated between the gut and the brain. And that we're a lot of us are eating things that we don't necessarily react brilliantly to that we might not be aware of. So that can have a huge impact on mood. What we eat and how it impacts our mood and how it differs from person to person. It's important to highlight the cultural backgrounds we have in terms 
that comes along with the type of food we eat and different bodies react differently to, for example, because of the history that community has with certain types of foods, a different one. They say that goes back to how we digest, how it affects the, the, the process, the, the time and so on. So I think it's important to be aware. Chips with food are so kind of multi-layered and so complex because it's not just, you know, we talk about how important it is as fuel and how mm. the quality of the fuel that we put in affects the running of the machine. But it is also important to acknowledge that there are emotional aspects to the food that we eat and there are cultural associations. There are family kind of elements and belonging and it's, it's very, very complex. And it's not as simple as everyone needs to eat this kind of, this is the one perfect diet for every human. That's not the way it works. It's very, very individual. And speaking about like ratio between food and culture, my own cultural background, Romanian, we've bonded around food. And I cannot forget that every time I was going to visit my grandfather, the second question he would ask me after, how are you doing? It's good to see you. Welcome back. I would literally would even take in my coat, my shoes off, would be like, what do you want to have? Because it's so important in our culture, the element of bonding around food, as you say, and because there are emotions involved that this is how we, we connect. Yeah, and it's a way of demonstrating love in that situation. It's, I'm really pleased to see you. What can I provide you with? How can I nourish you? You know, that's such a gorgeous way to, to express love. And that, there's different ways that different cultures do that all over the world. It's phenomenal. You're absolutely spot on. I like to kind of focus a bit more on the idea of a happy brain makes for a happy mind. And you kind of touch a bit upon uh, the idea of inflammation. And I'm thinking something that might sound a bit controversial, but how actually healthy cholesterol, healthy fats can, which is not so much discussed, but can have a good impact on our mental health. Can you share a bit more about that? Yeah, fats are so important. And I grew up in the fat is evil age when everything was supposed to be, you know, low fat, no fat. And that was the king. If you were doing healthy things, then that's, that's the camp you were in. So it's been a very interesting journey for me to learn about how essential fat actually is for our bodies to function. And it actually, cholesterol forms the backbone of all of our steroid hormones. So we are taught to glorify low cholesterol, but cholesterol that is too low is really problematic for our health in all kinds of ways, because our hormones are like an orchestral symphony. There are so many different pieces that are interacting with each other and kind of working together or not, depending on how well the system is functioning. So if some of our hormones are going out of whack because we have insufficient cholesterol or because we're not eating the right kinds of fats, then that can cause all sorts of knock-on effects that might be really surprising potentially. Omega-3 fats, which are really super important and the easiest place to get them is in oily fish which is things like sardines, mackerel, salmon, anchovies, things like that, are full of these incredible fats, which are so good for the brain. They're beneficial for cellular health. They're used in the walls of cells, so it affects the flexibility of the wall of the cell, which affects how well the cell is able to function. And you can imagine how having kind of poorer quality fats in the place of those in, for instance, the brain, which is made of a significant proportion of fats, more fat than anything else, if those cellular walls are stiff because we've been eating bad quality fats and we haven't had enough of the good quality fats to displace them, then that would affect our ability to function on really a very fundamental level. Great point you made about the kinds of fats, the kind of fish we, we can eat as well. And I'm just slightly thinking that at the moment, especially here in the UK, we are faced with a cost of living crisis. Sometimes I buy a lot of mackerel. But I don't buy the fresh one or the smoked one because it's quite pricey. So I go for the tinned one, which I think is equally good. So what I'm trying to be conscious that 
yeah, we have different kind of budgets available. And this actually received an interesting question from one of our followers ahead of the, the podcast. And they were wondering what foods have that are beneficial for our mental health, but maybe something we can avoid. If we're in a more common situation and we're not doing our food shopping in Harrods. <laughs> so, for example. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I love the, the example that you raised about tinned fish versus fresh or kind of smoked or whatever. That's an excellent choice. Tinned fish and tinned food in general can be amazing. It's usually pretty good quality and it can be, it depends, but you can get really a lot of bang for your buck if you focus on things like that. And frozen things as well can work really, really well. And they can be super helpful in terms of making sure that we don't waste food as well. So it depends, it makes it a lot easier if you've got things in the freezer to just kind of defrost what you need and kind of thinking it's a, it's a great way to, when you have kind of spent money potentially on something that is a little bit more expensive for whatever reason, you can make sure that by planning and with judicious use of the freezer, that you can make sure that none of that goes to waste and that you're making it last as, as well as you can. So there are a lot of pieces to the the question in terms of what can we eat to benefit our mental health and what things might potentially be getting in the way as well. So if we start with the things that we can do to help our mental health, there's a huge amount of research that is building now because nutritional science is actually a baby scientific discipline because it hasn't really been studied for as long as people imagine. Because I mean, like things like vitamins, we haven't known about them for that long. So the body of research is not enormous also because it's not being funded by drug companies basically which is where a lot of the money for medical research comes from so nutritional research is that discipline obviously works differently but we are gathering enough research now that we can look at trends and essentially one of the big trends that comes out is that the more that we can include whole foods in our diet the better And so that just means you're looking at a spectrum of how processed something is, because it's not like anything that has been through any kind of process is off menu. You have to go and dig up and forage for everything you're going to eat. That's unrealistic and not necessary. But it's just kind of being conscious that with the example of an apple that you've just picked from a tree that's outside your house is a completely different ballgame to an apple that is the inside of a McDonald's apple pie filling. It's not that there is going to be zero nutrition at the McDonald's apple pie end of the spectrum, but it's very different in its nutritional profile and in the amount of nutrients that have been stripped out during processing. So it can be a really helpful thing and not necessarily super expensive to consider where you can substitute more, like bring in more of some things that are closer to the less processed end of the spectrum. So if you're looking at something with packaging that has a list of ingredients on it, if you can kind of swap out something that has a really long list of ingredients for something that has a slightly shorter list of ingredients. So that's a very simple way to gauge how many levels of processing it's been through. And kind of doing things like trying to maximise our fibre intake that's coming from whole food sources of fibre. So good, slow release fibres that aren't spiking our blood sugar. So it could be things like any of the advertising for some of the personalised nutrition stuff that is going on at the moment. You can see that the way that my body responds to something like potatoes is going to be different to yours. But we can all, we've all got room for individual experimentation and kind of exploring. And there's lots of really lovely kind of root vegetables like cassava and yams and sweet potatoes and taro, which has got like some of these have got a million different names. So (laughs) you could just have a look at root vegetables in general and see what is cost effective and easy to get where you are 
and play around and see what you like, what you actually enjoy and how you feel when you kind of up the quantity of good quality fibre that you're getting because whole foods and adequate fibre intake are both kind of universally agreed across the research pretty much that those are going to have a beneficial impact on our mental health. Examples you gave, the kind of food we, we need to eat, but also the spotlight is put on, on fibre because it's a bit underrated. We are recording this episode in January. It's the end of January. Probably some of our listeners still have a few a few resolutions left. They haven't gave up on them already since yeah. it's the end of the month. But I was wondering, since you're also a, a coach, especially focused on nutrition, I assume that some of, some of us have made some goals around their food intake, their well-being, probably their weight. What are some of the tips that you could give give us in terms of introducing some good, healthy foods in our diets that will benefit our well-being and mental health? It's a really interesting one because some people do well with resolutions. They get a bad rap these days and it's it's true that they often don't work for people because we can set ourselves goals that are unrealistic and we don't break it down enough and we don't kind of focus enough on what it is it, that is under our reasoning underneath, why it is that we want to do what we're choosing to do so for instance if we've decided that we want to change our diet quite radically that were so many people talk about going on a diet from january and then we've kind of fallen off the wagon by the time we get to, to late january only february because the overall that we're trying to make is too big and because we're focused on potentially a lot of the time the focus is weight because we are led to believe that that's that number is key to how valuable we are maybe as a person, <laughs> which is possibly a controversial thing to say, but it's what I really encourage clients to do in those kind of situations is to focus on if your weight was different, like if you're changing your diet to impact your weight, if that's your motivation, what is it that changes for you when your weight becomes whatever it is that you think you want it to be? And so what is it that stops happening for you, but also what doors open up for you? What are the things that come with that? Because that really helps to hold on when things do get a little bit challenging. It helps us to hold on to the reason that we're ultimately we're trying to implement this change. And I really, really encourage people to just take it slowly and not kind of set yourself up with a pass or fail kind of situation, but allow yourself to play around and say, right, well, I'm going to try and add in say one more portion of good quality starchy vegetables to get myself some more fiber and some more whole foods and fresh vegetables all in one hit. If you just add one portion of starchy vegetables to your daily food intake, and it doesn't necessarily have to be every day, it depends where you're starting from. So for some people doing that a couple of times a week would be a really big win. And then you build slowly from there. And what are you going to do next once you've done that? But we have to kind of allow our brains to understand that we are capable of making these changes and sticking with it. So we need to start with something that's realistic and achievable. We have a whole year. We don't have to achieve our goals by the 15th of, of February so we can be ready for Valentine's Day. I'm being flippant. No, yeah. Say yeah. That. So we have a whole year to achieve our goals. So as you say, it's a trial and error. Yes, we might fail today, but we pick ourselves up and try again tomorrow. On starchy vegetables, one tip that I learned recently, which has really uh, helped me to understand, is to increase the starch, the fiber, basically, the fiber intake in our, for example, potatoes, rice, sweet potatoes, and so on. After I cook them, is I need to let them to cool down, and I can reheat them afterwards if I want to have my, you know, my rice or and so on warm. But by cooling it down, that allows for the fiber intake in the potatoes and pasta to increase, which I think is really important to bear in mind that will help us probably, as you say, 
to have much more slow release foods in, in our diet. Yeah, and it's what's happening there is it's called resistant starch that is increased in quantity. When we cook something and we allow it to cool and often leave it for maybe 24 hours, so something that you've cooked the previous day. And it's also a massive win in terms of time. You know, if you're cooking your potatoes or whatever it is for one day, you can eat some of them straight away, but you can also put some to one side to have for tomorrow. If you're not in the flow yet of having things that you made yesterday already, you can start now and go, okay, I'm going to have dinner today and I'm going to put aside at least one portion of my carbohydrate kind of chunk of dinner to to give me something tomorrow that's going to be even more beneficial because gut bacteria absolutely love resistance. I don't think there's a male or female nutrition, but for some men are obsessed with high intake protein of like steak, chicken, like building the muscle and so on. Not that I'm passionate about any of that, but what I find is speaking a bit also to the other point we made earlier about culture. I've noticed in some cultures, this idea of masculinity is very much associated with the kind of food you eat. Especially you have to have meat. And if you don't have any meat, you kind of perceive the lessons of, of, of a man. I've experienced myself at times when people look so weird at me when I didn't have any meat on my plate. And for example, my female friends around the table, they had meat on their plate. So what are your thoughts on that kind of myth about high intake protein, we ignore fiber, which is probably more important for our body? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? How we have all of these cultural associations with in different cultures, but then some that are across many cultures around what masculine food looks like and how that is somehow different to and to women's food there's this whole idea that men should be all about the kind of eating something that it looks like you've just gone out and clubbed over the head basically and that women are supposed to have gone and picked some some leaves and some fruit from the garden and that's how we're supposed to find our food and it's you can kind of see the through line of how we got there sort of from an evolutionary perspective but actually sort of it doesn't work to ignore any entire food groups whatever gender you are you have to be conscious if there are certain obviously there are ethical reasons that people make choices around food for instance so if people choose not to eat meat for those kinds of reasons and for kind of environmental reasons or whatever it may be it is perfectly possible to be nutritionally to meet your body's nutritional needs without meat if you are a conscious kind of pescatarian and eating seafood. Seafood is magical from a nutritional perspective. The more, like most people would be better off eating more seafood than they do. And so that can be an amazing way to meet our nutrient needs. And in terms of protein, and I mean, with red meat specifically, there is an issue with eating high amounts of red meat without having an appropriate quantity of vegetables alongside it, because that's where all of the kind of clickbait headlines that people have probably seen about the link between red meat and cancer come from. And so if you are somebody who does eat red meat, it's even more important to make sure that you're having adequate vegetable intake alongside that, because that's how your body is expecting to receive it and is able to process it because you need the complementary things that come with the vegetables in order for your body to be able to handle the the meat. Very interesting point about having steak and vegetables. So definitely need to make sure for some of the listeners to have their steamed broccoli or asparagus. Four vegetables are generally kind of things that can fairly safely be kind of like, oh, if I could take a step towards that for most people, that would be good. 
and whatever form that takes for you, however that works for you, you know, you work around what your personal tastes are and what's available to you in terms of budget and where you live and what kind of food you have access to and what kind of thing you know how to cook. Great point to move on to the standard questions that I ask all my guests. And the first one is, what stereotypes about men do you dislike the most? Yeah, there's, oh, there's a lot. <laughs> but one of the first ones that comes to mind is like the strong, silent type that strength comes with isolating yourself and not communicating and just getting on with things and doing it as a man. That's the strong way to cope with a, with any given situation. Whereas actually, we all know from experience that it works better when we do communicate, when we ask for help, when we need it, and when we try and approach, especially things that are really difficult, when we try and approach it with support from other people. It doesn't mean you have to be begging other people to do things for you. It's just having a conversation and communicating can be really super helpful for everyone. It makes all of our interactions easier and more effective and we connect in a way that is so much more meaningful, which benefits everyone. By allowing ourselves to be open, no man is an island. We need to be in a community that helps our well-being as well. Another element, another component of this spectrum of well-being. But at the same time, the sign of strength that I'm here, I'm open with what I'm going through. And then we can do this together. And again, it's important to have that kind of vulnerability. People you can trust. I don't encourage you, I wouldn't say it's safe to just open up to anybody. Or as you say, just to load your burden on somebody else that is not fair on, on them either. But I think yeah. what we are both saying is, from my understanding, is that we need to be open, allow for that flow, exchange of ideas to get a different perspective. It doesn't have to be that they have to help you. But what are your thoughts on this situation that I'm going through or I'm experiencing? And then my, oh, I didn't see it this way. Actually, that was really helpful for me to get your thoughts on this. And just even being able to hear what you say yourself when you're talking through something out loud to somebody else, it's hugely beneficial as a coach. This is part of the benefit of the work that I do is that I provide people with a space where they can say whatever they need to say and they can be really brutally honest and then they kind of surprise themselves like oh I didn't know that's what I thought being able to say things out loud opens the door to so many making connections and kind of looking at situations in different ways just makes so much sense to be more connected as a human from the point of view of receiving support and help that you need but also providing support and help to other people because you can't do that if you're not having the conversations one nice way to end this conversation around nutrition, healthy foods for our bodies to contribute to our mental health is what attributes do you associate with a healthy view of masculinity? Mm, I would say openness and communication, a willingness to listen, because that's, that can be another thing that is not necessarily so emphasized in what we're trying to teach to boys and young men. And men who know how to listen are just fabulous. Wonderful point to just wrap it up. But before we go, where people can find more about what you do, if they want to book a coaching session with you, where they can go? Yeah, well, I can be found relatively easily if you just Google my name. And that is my website is under my name. So it's beccabenning.com. And all of my social media is also under my name. So most of the top hits that come up 
if you're looking to kind of implement some healthy changes and you're not really sure quite where to begin, I've got a free quiz on my website. We'll give you some ideas about where you might start for your situation specifically and what you might think about doing. I've also got 25% off a one hour taster session, which can be brilliant for just sort of if you've got a particular issue that you want to have a bit of a talk through and try and get yourself unstuck around or if um, you just want to try our coaching and see if it's for you. Amazing. Thanks so much for that, Becca. I really love the conversation and uh, looking forward to having you again in the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for tuning in today and I hope this gives you a fresh perspective and helps you achieve your goals around food and well-being. For me, it was a helpful reminder that nutrition is so personal and what works for me might not work for others. Until April, you can check previous episodes you might have missed, like the ones on male friendships, money problems and mental health, self-empathy or leadership. Until then, stay safe and keep listening to Mentality Podcast.